Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to C3 Corumbans podcast. We want you to know that you are loved by a God who is love. So good to have you with us. Why don't you enjoy this week's sermon? All right. Well, we I do want to focus on that today. We're still going through Romans 8. If you are just joining us or you've missed the last few weeks, we've been going through uh, just Romans chapter 8 for seven weeks. We want to explore this rich chapter uh, with the sub-theme of child, children of God. Something we are passionate, passionate about here is killing religion. I beg you, please don't come. I'm so grateful to have you here. Don't come to tick a box. Don't come to feel good about yourself as a Christian. Come to encounter your Father in heaven. Come expectant that the Holy Spirit is here, wants to change you and fill you and speak to you. Let's kill religion constantly. And it keeps coming back. It'll keep creeping up on you. You won't even realize it, but after a few months of just doing the, the motions of Christianity, sometimes you're like, why haven't I sensed his presence lately? Because we don't think that way. So the goal of this chapter really to dig deep into is growing in our revelation that we are children of God. And week one, we looked at this beautiful verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that as we looked at, please don't just start there. Start in Romans chapter 1. And what we're going to see is that sin is in the world and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the first three chapters, we're going to see that pretty clearly. And then we're going to come into chapter 4 and we're going to see about Abraham and uh, Abraham, how we, even Gentiles, non-Jewish people here, we can become children of Abraham, children of God through faith. And not through the law, not through circumcision, but through faith in God. Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. That's us as well. Amen. And then we're going to enter chapter 5. We're going to start to see that the sin that came through Adam and Eve in the garden, verse 12, that sin that came in and spread to all mankind. It literally says, as sin entered death, spread to all mankind. It says, and how much more through the one man, the second Adam, will life spread to all mankind. Uh, Douglas Moo and Martin Lloyd-Jones will say that Romans chapter 5 is the most crucial chapter in maybe the Bible. J.I. Packer will say this one, Romans chapter 8 is it. And if anything, we're just fleshing out what was established in in Romans 5. And so Romans 6 speaks about kind of this new identity we have in Christ. We can't go on sinning that grace may abound. We're dead to sin. We're children of God. We're alive in God. Let's grow in that. And Romans 7 will bring us into a picture that there's still this ongoing wrestle between this uh, fleshly desire surrounded by a world that is full of please yourself. As long as you are feeling happy, you're doing the right thing, which is just the most awful message you could ever hear. Feelings come and go. Commitment should trump feelings. Thank you, Jesus. And so don't listen to your feelings. Instead, listen to the gospel. Keep reading that and let the Bible dictate your feelings and decisions in life. Amen. And now we're entering Romans 8. And now we see this Romans 8.1, this beautiful thing of there is no, zero, none condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <sighs> beautiful. We looked at that propitiation or, or, or a substitutionary atonement where Jesus in my place, Jesus on the cross took that wrath, took that condemnation so that those in Christ could be free from that. Amen. 
We looked at that in the next week. I just want to give a recap once again. So we're growing in this chapter and our understanding of it as a whole, not just kind of random pieces of different flavored pizzas. But come on, let's eat, let's eat a whole pizza. Come on, I bless you with it. Let's just do the whole thing. The second week, we looked at a new way of thinking. It says, let the Holy Spirit control your mind. As Ben said, like now that you're in Christ, he said, my actions didn't line up with my beliefs. It's this ongoing process. Let the Holy Spirit control our mind that will determine our habits and our actions. And then we looked at killing idols. Idols are constantly going to pop up in our heart and our life, right? Idols of fame, idols of money, idols of possessions, idols of lust, idols of different things that we worship, that we crave. The Holy Spirit inside us wants to kill those idols again and again and again. Amen? Then we looked at last week, adoption, sons, children of the Most High God. We looked at that, uh, compared it to Luke 15, the prodigal son and his older brother, and, uh, but the father heart that, that waits, eagerly waits for you and I through faith to come back to him as children of God. Amen. So now, now once again, to put it in context, because otherwise we're going to read today and it's going to sound really bad and really off and really weird, but it's actually quite... Um, Beautiful, and I would say necessary for us to explore this topic and this passage to live as Christians in this day and age. I want us to look at suffering expectantly. Suffering expectantly. <laughs> it's not too late to leave. All of a sudden, everyone's, oh, I got to just remember, I got a meeting. Uh. There's no condemnation. You're free from that. The Holy Spirit's in you. He's changing the way you think. And he's inside killing idols. And now you cry out, Abba, Father, you're a child of God. And what all of that says is you were saved to be in relationship with God out of this world. That's what it means. So now we're looking at suffering going, wow, I'm not, I don't actually belong to this world. If something has been clear in Romans chapter 1, uh, 8 verses 1 to like 15, 16, it should be adoption brought out of the world, child of God. I don't belong to this world anymore. I'm not here, right? Let's look at the passage. Romans chapter 8, 17 to 27. Thank you so much. And since we are his children, it's beautiful, right? We are. Well, since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. There's, a, there's an inheritance in heaven coming our way. Here's the bit we skip over. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all Creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, we're seeing that again and again. We wait eagerly. Now with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long 
for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We to wait with, here it is again, eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. See what I'm trying to pull out? We are adopted. Now we have the Holy Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, now you already are a child of God. And it gets better. There's more. This is a foretaste, what we're experiencing now. The goal is heaven with him. He will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. See, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Thank you, Lord. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. The Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. The Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. One final bit. Is there one more? Verse 27. That's 26, but that's okay. We can stop there. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we love you. And God, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our heart. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. Lord, as we look at this passage and explore uh, suffering expectantly, as we explore this thought of living in this world, not for ourselves, but on mission for you, bringing your kingdom bringing your glory to this world. Help us to see that we have never been promised an easy life. We've never been promised a trial-free life, suffering-free life. So much more than that, we've been promised a glorious inheritance in heaven waiting for us. Help us to keep that as the goal, the one true goal with you for eternity. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Ah, there's that time again. Okay, let's jump into it. First thing I want us to look at today is that suffering is actually partnering with Christ in salvation. Suffering is not the enemy. Sometimes we're bought into a gospel that if you come to Jesus, he's going to give you heaps of money and he's going to make your life easy. And you're going to get lots of possessions. And we stand on different things like God came to give us life and life abundantly. Well, life abundantly means my bank account's overflowing. Life abundantly means I'm always healthy. I'm never sick. Life abundantly means all my kids will grow up and have a beautiful, wonderful relationship with God and never, ever, ever entertain the thought of any idols in this world. And life abundantly means so many friends just praying for me. And life abundantly means no suffering. And with all the love in my heart, I want to say, that's not biblically true. <laughs> we explored two years ago a, a, a preaching series. I think it might still be online. Phil, don't leave yet. It gets better. Come on, come back. No, just kidding. <laughs> we explored a... <laughs> 
We explored a, a preaching series that I wanted us to look at because I think it's um, a much better way of looking at that term, and it was called suffering in the Zoe. Now, this word for life, Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. The Greek word for life there is Zoe. So Jesus came to give Zoe life. That's biblically true. So I thought we better look at what is Zoe. It's used 134 times in the New Testament. It's used 36 times in the Gospel of John alone. And every single time Zoe is used, it is meant to describe a Jesus life, a kingdom life. Not once is Zoe used to describe wealth. Not once is Zoe used to describe health. So much bigger, so much more, it's Jesus. And now we get that and we, we read these verses very differently, right? Like in John chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, In Him, when Jesus came, was life, and that life was the light of mankind. Well, that is Zoe. So Jesus came with Zoe, and that Zoe is our light. It guides us in dark times. It holds us in difficult moments. It is Zoe. In John chapter 3, 16, God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, so that whoever would believe in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal Zoe. Something so much more than money. Something so much more than stuff and possessions. It's a kingdom, Jesus, life. John chapter 17, the whole chapter, he's praying. It's a beautiful thing. I love verse 3. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ who you sent. Jesus is saying, he's giving us the clues. He's like, this is it. This is eternal Zoe, that they can now know you. They can be in relationship with you, that we could be in relationship with God. That is is Zoe. Zoe is also used a few times in Romans chapter 8. I think I've put it up there. For the law, remember chapter 1, verse 1, sorry. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in relationship, who are one through salvation in Christ Jesus. This is the next verse. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. How cool is that term? The law, which we don't like, but anyway, spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and that word life there is Zoe, has made me free from the law of sin and death. Thank you, God. Has not made me free from my mortgage. Has not made me free from ever getting sick again. See what I'm, it's so much better. Has made me free from the law of sin and death. And Christ lives within you. Even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you Zoe. See, it's so much better than blessing. So much better than your business is going to double in 2023. Ooh, it's so much better. Because here's the thing, unfortunately. There's some Christians in the world that will pass away next year from sickness and won't get healed. And there's some Christians in the world that they won't be able to meet their mortgage repayments and they'll have to sell and maybe be left in debt. There's some Christians in the world, let's go bigger than Western problems, who are facing war right now in Ukraine. 
Let's go bigger than our Gold Coast Western mindset of Instagram and beach. Uh, there's some Christians in the world in, our, uh, in Egypt right now. Our pastors over there getting car bombed twice in the last few years. And the beautiful thing we can bring to them from the gospel is not like, get ready. God's got some money coming your way. It's not the gospel. The gospel is life is with you now. And in the midst of your attack and in the midst of your persecution and in the midst of your problems, you can have life abundantly now. Because it's not about stuff. It's about Him. And it changes the way we think. Suddenly suffering is partnering with Christ in salvation. This is what Jesus means where He's like, what king goes to war without weighing up their options, right? This is when you come to the gospel, you realize what Jesus meant in Luke 9.23, if anyone here wants to follow Jesus, let him die to himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's why John Piper said, Jesus didn't die to save you. Sorry, Jesus died to save you from hell, not to save you from carrying a cross. The beautiful thing about Zoe and the gospel and adoption and creation and oneness with Christ is we don't go to hell. We don't get that outcome. We get Him and heaven and, and God for eternity, oneness. That's Zoe. So much better. This is why verse 18 of Romans 8, Paul's like, what we're going to get now, the glory we're going to see is so much bigger than the suffering we endure now. It's partnering with God in salvation, amen? And this is why our gospel friends, when we share the gospel, not just here singing it and, and preaching it, but with our friends and our family this Christmas season, there are going to be more questions than normally throughout the year about why do you go to church or what's going on? Do you actually believe the Bible? Do you actually believe in God? Let's not waste those opportunities. If they open the door, I always tell people, walk through it. If they're like, why do you do that? They'll be like, oh, I don't know, I just... Feels good. <laughs> like, don't waste that. Like, well, because oh, I believe Jesus loves you. I believe Jesus loves me. And he's got, he's got an incredible life for us right now. The gospel is not, oh man, you got to come to church. Trust me, your financial problems will be gone. Oh, any sickness just flees like that in a moment. It's better. The gospel is you got to come meet Jesus. He's better than anything this world has to offer. And I'm convinced you will experience the very reason you were created. This is why Ecclesiastes 3, I believe it's verse 11, says, God has placed eternity in the heart of every man. Even if they don't know it, something in there is longing for Jesus. And it's something that can't be filled with money. That's why we don't offer it. Right? Like, imagine if the gospel was the best thing about the gospel is you get money. Like, okay. That won't feel that. But when you get Jesus, when you get God, that feels that. That satisfies me. Amen? So, suffering this side of eternity is actually partnering with Christ at salvation. Look at John chapter 15. I can't remember if I gave it to you, Denz, or not. John 15. This is in the Last Supper. Jesus is having dinner with the disciples. It's like 24 hours before he's dying on the cross. Do you remember what I told you? 
A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. If they listened to me, they would listen to you. And they do all this to you because of me. Jesus never promised you an easy life. The opposite, he actually promised you a difficult life. But he promises to be with us in those moments. He promises that he won't put us in a situation that will overcome us. Right? This is what I need us to look at when it comes to suffering. I did want to comment that this um, passage we're looking at today, I didn't really want to do a deep dive into creation groaning and longing for the day when it'll be set free because I've just seen, there was just a lot of different opinions around eschatology and meeting of what you think happened in the garden pre-fall and curse. And I was like, you know what? It's not time for that on a Sunday morning when I've got 20 minutes. So here we go instead. Suffering is partnering with Christ in salvation. Suffering is partnering with Christ in sanctification, working out our salvation, becoming more like Him. Paul says in this passage in verse 23, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, right? It's like I, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> suffering now is actually making me more like Jesus. First Peter 4, I think I put that, there we go. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Anyone ever felt like that? I felt like that. I'm like, what the heck's going on? I've been doing pretty good lately. I've been nice to people. I'm serving. I'm tithing. Why does this suck right now? Life is hard. <laughs> Don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. The Bible's, Bible's so much tougher than some of our Western theology. <laughs> be very glad. Why would we be glad when we're in trials? Because these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Do you remember in Acts, it's the end of Acts 5. I'm forgetting the verse right now, I apologize. Verse 31, end of Acts 5. The, the, the apostles that preaching Jesus, they get beaten up, they get arrested, and finally they get threatened, don't preach Jesus anymore, and, and they get freed, and it says, and they left considering themselves, it was such an honor that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. <laughs> such a different mindset that we have right now. But what I want us to see is, when we are suffering, when we're going through tough times, God is doing a work in us there that doesn't happen in our heart and our mind and our lives when things are really easy. Sometimes we go through seasons and no one's sick that we know and there are no financial pressures in our world and we're not worried about interest rate rises next year. We've got job security and if, if you're anything like me in those seasons, I'm not front-footed waking up early going on my knees in prayer. I'm not fasting for a day or two or three pushing into God believing for breakthrough. If anything, my walk with Him's pretty slow. 
And as soon as a fiery trial comes, as soon as a difficult day comes, and there is sickness, and there is pain, and there is torment, something shifts where I'm pushing into God, and I'm pushing into His Word, and I'm calling fellow mentors or friends like, come on, I need you to pray with me. I need some kind of help here. And my relationship with God grows exponentially through that trial. It happened to Paul as well. Let's look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Do we have? There we go. Okay, so if you're not familiar with this passage, really quickly, uh, Paul was brought up into heaven and just given this vision of heaven. That's kind of a snapshot. And so to keep me from becoming proud, not because he had sinned, not because he'd done something wrong, but to keep him from maybe doing something wrong. That's pretty wild to me. I always think it. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, <laughs> to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. I preached in this in much more depth a few years ago, but let's just, it jacks with our thinking. But to have a godly outcome to keep me from becoming proud, a messenger of Satan was given to me to torment me. That's a sovereign God. Never forget, I know I'm going over time and off topic, just trust me. Never put God on par, Satan on par with God. Don't do that. Don't be like, oh, God won, you know, yesterday was such a good day. God was winning, but today Satan's winning. It's a brutal day. It's so tough. It's like, they're not equal forces. Satan is a created angel that has fallen. He's, he's equal, if anything, is, is Michael. We read a weird verse. I believe it's in Job. It's like Michael and, and Satan had a fight over Moses' body. Is that right, Pastor Chris? I think it's in Jude. Did I say Job? Jude at the end. It's so weird, right? But anyway, I'm just saying that say, don't, don't put Satan and God on the same playing field. God's uncreated. He's always in control. On your worst day, he's in control. And he's always good. Hold on to those even though <laughs> he gave a messenger from Satan to torment Paul, he still is good. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said no. Like God's answer in, in a way is, is no. I'm not taking it away. Paul hadn't done anything wrong. Paul hadn't sinned. Paul hadn't stuffed up. But God's like, no, 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 but I've got a greater purpose in your suffering. Come with me, because I know this is not a popular thing to preach on. God was doing a greater level of work in Paul that could only happen through suffering. Paul had to learn a lesson that didn't come through blessing and miracles and good times. But the lesson and the closeness and the proximity and the unison with God happened in suffering. Each time I prayed, I begged God to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. What's Paul's response? So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure 
in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. As good as your witness is, when life is really going well for you, when you invite someone to church and tell them about Jesus, awesome. Don't stop that. That's great. But here's my conviction as well. Your witness is even louder if in the midst of your pain, God is still good. And in the midst of your suffering, Jesus is still worthy. And in the midst of your agony, he still offers a joy that this world cannot give nor take. This is why James, first letter written in the whole New Testament, the very first thing he says in James chapter 1, verse 2, brothers, Christians, count it all joy when you enter various trials. For the testing of your faith produces patience. So let patience have its work in you that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But if you lack wisdom, just ask God and he gives it freely without reproach. If you're really struggling in this season, God wants to give you wisdom. <laughs> the most often written about topic in the first first four centuries of Christianity, long-suffering. Not blessing, not miracles, not this, not that. Long-suffering, enduring difficult days. And here we read that actually partnering with Christ's suffering is partnering with Christ in my sanctification process. Sometimes we hate it, and I hate it too. But the question is, God, what are you doing in this? I know you're at work. I'm getting to that next week. I'm going to tie this week into next week. Verse 28, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Next week, I want to look at how often that has just been twisted and pulled out of context to say life will be easy. Contextually, <laughs> it's in a passage about suffering, <laughs> but knowing that glory is coming. I am going over time. I'll finish with this if I can get the band up. Suffering is partnering with Christ at salvation. That's what we are purchased into, unfortunately. Do you remember when God saved, just in case people, I know this doesn't sound nice or popular, but do you remember when, when God went out of his way and saved Saul, Paul, in Acts 9? Um, he goes to Ananias should have reread this before, but it's just coming to me now. He, he goes to Ananias and he's like, hey, go to a street called Straight. There's a guy there called Paul. I want you to pray with him. Do you remember what he says to Ananias? He's like, I need to show him what he will suffer for my name. That's what Paul was saved for. He was saved into that. Paul's calling was to suffer for Christ. And we are here benefiting and reading scripture and growing and, and falling more in love with Jesus because he was faithful to that calling. Read 2 Corinthians 11 in your own time if you want to see how easy and nice Paul's life was. Otherwise, we're going to talk about that next week as well. <laughs> Suffering is partnering with Christ at salvation. Suffering is partnering with Christ in sanctification. Suffering is partnering with Christ in soon-to-be glory. It's glory to come, glorification. Okay, so I looked at this last week. I'll finish with this. So verse 23 of that passage, we 
Christians, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children. Amen? Can you stay with me for two minutes? I believe you. For all. There we go. I'm going to get to that. Okay. We wait with eager hope. Last week, when we looked at adoption, I looked at the prodigal son. And the very start of Luke 15, where it gives these beautiful three parables, at the very start, you okay? <laughs> I heard the off note. I didn't want to say anything, but I was like, it's all good. You know what? It's, it's, there's a room for grace. There's a room for grace here. <laughs> I wasn't going to highlight it until she burst out laughing, but anyway. You're doing amazing. Okay, so last week, sorry, I looked at Luke 15, and it said... Um, the religious people and the Pharisees grumble that Jesus would receive sinners, tax collectors, and he'd eat with them. We looked at that word receive. Remember that? We looked at the word six times. It's used in Luke, and it always means this, to eagerly expect and look for. Catch this. That word that we looked at last week, prosdecamai. Three times in Romans 8, when it says eagerly wait, we see apex decamai. Three times. Look at the difference. Prosdecamai means to go looking for and eagerly expect. Apex decamai means to wait and eagerly expect. The gospel is Jesus is looking for you eagerly. And when He finds you, we get to join Him and be with Him. And now we eagerly wait for what's to come. Guys, it gets better than this. Can you believe that? We live on the freaking Gold Coast. Like, we have the best life. I'm not sure if there's a better place to live in the world. And it gets better. This is nothing. Paul says to the Corinthians, now we see through a mirror dimly. Then we will see face to face. Waiting eagerly, assiduously, and waiting patiently for all creation. Sorry, Dan, you were there. Verse 19, all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Verse 21, with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Verse 23, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children. That's once again keeping this in the context of Romans 8. This is people who are already in Christ. Already there's no condemnation. Already you have the spirit of life. Already you're adopted children crying out, Abba, Father. And still, those people who've experienced all that eagerly wait and hope for what's to come. Christians, please have an expectant heart of the goodness of what is to come. Otherwise, we looked at this earlier this year, death will be the enemy if you don't do that. Sometimes we meet Christians, we're like, oh no, they passed away, it's the worst thing ever. Death is painful. We've mourned this year. Death is very painful. But for the Christian, it's actually graduation to something better. It's graduation. It's like, Finally, we're set free from death and decay. Set free from sin and suffering like it doesn't happen till we get there. We're going to look at next week, verse 30. For every single one he saves and justifies, he will glorify.
We're going to look at that together next week. But I say this with love. Don't expect an easy life. You weren't called into an easy life. If you want to live for Jesus and live on mission, I should clarify that. If you want to call yourself a Christian and attend here one week, once a week, you can have an easy life. If you want to live for Jesus and live on mission, you won't have an easy life. You okay with that little difference there? Plenty of people fill churches around the world that Satan does not mind. Plenty of people fill churches around the world that don't read their Bible, that don't pray, that don't push into God. So I'm not talking about just people who attend church. If you want to live for Jesus and live on mission, don't expect an easy life. But you should have a hope that he's with you. Zoe, life is there now. We have an eager hope for what's to come. Amen? Amen. I'll finish with this one verse and then we're done. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Finish with this. Our present troubles, C3 Corumban, are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. Every house, every dollar, every piece of clothing, everything will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Amen? Suffering expectantly. Let's pray. We love you, God. You're so good to us. You're so kind. It was your loving kindness that led us to repentance. You're a kind God. You're a good Father in heaven. We are your children. You're for us. Help us not to confuse that with us being entitled to a problem-free life overflowing with possessions. Help us to interpret that instead as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, sealed with Zoe life, eagerly expecting the glory to come. Help us to see that we are citizens of heaven now. You're so good, God. As Colossians 3 commands us, we fix our eyes on things above, not on things of the earth. You're so good, God. You're so good. Help us to grow in that. I pray for anyone here going through a really tough patch right now. God, we pray for anyone here suffering, feeling pain, feeling stress, the pressures of finances, the pressure, relationship pressures, anyone whose marriage is in a tough spot, any negative health reports coming from the doctors. I pray for these people. God, I pray that they would feel your comfort. Lord, we thank you for your word in 2 Corinthians 1 that you comfort those in, in tough times. I pray that experience you, Holy Spirit, comfort them right now. Let them sense and know and be convinced that you're a good God. You are in control. You are for them. 
and that the next life is only even better than this one. I pray right now for your peace of God that surpasses knowledge and understanding to guard their heart and their mind. I pray that they would just sense in the midst of their suffering and in the midst of their pain, just like Paul, they would rejoice that you are at work. Help us to hold on to that, God. I pray this Christmas season that we wouldn't shift our eyes away from you and fix it on possessions or things in this world. Our eyes would be fixed on you and we'd expect lives to be changed forever when the Christmas message goes out. People would have ears to hear it for the very first time. They would receive the gospel, be born again. Lord, we thank you. Bless us with that this Christmas. I pray that you would use us for your glory. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we stand to our feet? We're going to worship together. I apologize for going over time this morning.